In Matthew 12, I'm going to begin reading at verse 33, and I'm going to read down to verse 37. Matthew 12, 33 through 37. The Bible says there, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And let's pray. Lord, once again, we're so very thankful for the time and the opportunity you've given us to meet together in this wonderful place you've given us to meet in. And Lord, we ask you now to meet with us. It'll all be for naught if you don't meet with us this morning. Lord, we, we don't know the heart of every person here today. I don't doubt there are unsaved people in our midst, people who have never made that decision to receive Jesus Christ. And according to your word, if they've not made that decision, then they have no hope of heaven when they die. I pray for them that today would be the day when they'll come to Christ and receive him and be born again. And then I pray for the believers in this room. Most of the folks in this room profess to know Christ. I pray that each one would have an open and receptive heart to whatever it is you want to speak to them about today. Meet every need. Have your will and way in every heart and life. Use me to your praise and glory that I might just be your messenger boy. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this, Be Careful How You Talk to Yourself. Be Careful How You Talk to Yourself. You know, God is keeping records of our lives in heaven. Nothing in our lives or about our lives goes unnoticed with the Lord. A part of that record that God keeps is that he keeps a record of our words. In Matthew 12, verses 33 through 37, Jesus reveals the importance and the impact of, of the words we say when he reminds us that every idle word will be judged. Thus, we can see the importance of the words that we speak, that which we say. Now, what we say is important. Our words can cause grief, trouble, and harm. Someone once said, it's dangerous to have a loose tongue because it can lead to loose teeth. Our words can also bring grief and trouble and harm to other people. Just by our words, we can ruin a person's reputation. By our words, we can cause great emotional pain for others. What we say about others can cause much destruction. However, this morning, I do not want to deal with our words to others or what we say to others. Rather, I want to focus for a little while on what we say to ourselves. For you see, that while what we say to others can cause much destruction, what we say to ourselves can be far more destructive or harm harmful. We must be careful what we say to ourselves, especially at some very critical, very crucial times in our life. At such times, saying the right thing to ourselves can keep us right with God and close to Him. And at such times, saying the wrong thing to ourselves can lead us astray and create havoc in our spiritual life. King Solomon knew the importance 
of our saying the right words at the right time. In Proverbs 25:11, he tells us a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. We all need to be careful about what we say to ourselves in some crucial times in our lives. And I want to share with you some of those times when we must be very careful what we say to ourselves. The first time we need to be careful is in our times of suffering. In our times of suffering. In 2 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says this, Beloved, that's saved people. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And I, Peter wants us to understand, as Christians, we are going to suffer. That's why he says, think it not strange uh, when the fiery trial, which is to try you. Uh, we shouldn't think it strange. As a matter of fact, we need to expect trials and difficulties. For the saved person, suffering is the norm. Now, Jesus himself told his followers that in the world you shall have tribulation over there in John chapter 16. Peter reminds us that we do suffer. When we do suffer, we ought not to think it be strange. Rather, we ought to expect it. You know, when you think about that, why then are we so devastated? Why are we so dismayed? Why are we so, why are we so blown out of the water when suffering comes our way? We really do need to have an attitude that, well, I'm going to have to suffer, and I'm going to suffer because I'm a Christian. Now, we need to guard our attitude about suffering. We should not say, I don't deserve this. You know, if we make that kind of a statement, we're saying that God is, is, is unfair to us and God is unloving to us that he's letting me go through this in an unfair way. No, we shouldn't say, I don't deserve this. If we got what we deserved, we'd be in hell. Amen. We should not say, why me? I think it was Pastor Videnna said one time, we shouldn't say, why me? Rather, we should say, why not me? And the point is this. When we say, why me, we're saying that, uh, why do I go through this? There's somebody more deserving of this suffering than I am. No, that's not the right attitude to have. No one enjoys suffering, but the fact is it's a very real part of our Christian life. And when we're suffering, we ought to say things to ourselves that are going to encourage us, not tear, tear, tear us down or depress us. For instance, we need to remind ourselves of God's presence uh, in our times of suffering, Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And, you know, I think about the disciples in that storm they were going through, and they were afraid the boat was going to sink. And they went back, and here's Jesus on board the boat. All he had to do was come out and speak, and the waves and the sea were all calm. What I'm reminding you about is the reason they could be secure was because Jesus was with them. And when we go through the suffering, when we go through the difficult place in our lives, we need to remember, I'm not alone. He will never leave me nor forsake thee. And then we need to rehearse some of the promises from the Bible when we're going through suffering. For instance, when we get to that place where we think we can't take it, we remember Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And when we're troubled and going through difficulties, we can remember Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. 
And when we're going through the trial and tribulation, we can remember Romans 8, 17. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together with him. You know, one other thing when we're going through the suffering, and, and this may help you, uh, you know, you can always think about this. There are people who will have it worse than you have it. Amen? And uh, I know that sounds very trite and, and all, but really when you're going through things and you start thinking along those lines, hey, I have this, but there's people who are suffering this or this or this, and they have it a whole lot worse. And sometimes uh, I've thought this already. There's a lot of people who would love to be in my shoes and only have this problem. Amen? And so in our time of suffering, we need to be careful what we say to ourselves. And then the second thing, we need to be careful uh, what we say to ourselves in our times of prosperity. Go over to Luke chapter 12. Luke, the 12th chapter. We're going to look at verses 16 through 21 in Luke chapter 12. This is a parable. Now, a parable is a, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A parable is, is an example. It's not anything about a real person. It's uh, Jesus using a story to illustrate a point. But he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruit. And he said, This will I do. Notice, this man's talking to himself. This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You know, prosperity can be a, a person's downfall. Now, I know we all, look, we all want to prosper. We really don't want to go through the tough times and the hard times. But prosperity really can be a dangerous thing. This man in this parable is a good example. He was prospering in very much in the things of the world, and it made him forget all about God and all about eternity. You know, in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, Jesus said this, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Prosperity can be a very dangerous thing. I've seen many Christians drawn away from the Lord by prosperity. Prosperity breeds an independence from God. You know, I think about sometimes people begin to prosper and, and maybe at their job they start getting the overtime offers. Uh, you know, time and a half and double time if you'll just work, uh, work on Sunday and, and that kind of thing. And pretty soon people are falling prey to that. And they say, well, I know God understands. I got to work. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I understand that. But listen, Having that opportunity to make that big money isn't necessarily from the Lord or, or what God wants you to do. I remember my own experience as a young Christian. I was working a lot of Sundays, and the job I had, we worked seven days a week, uh, all, all during the summer. We'd start in April. We'd go right through October working seven days a week, a lot of times 12 hours a day. 
And, uh, of course, the money was good, but you had to work Sundays. Then I got saved. And uh, at first, I didn't see anything wrong with working Sundays. You know, God knows I have to work. And, uh, but then as time went on, God began to convict me and convince me that, hey, you shouldn't be working Sundays if you don't have to work Sundays. And so, and Sunday was always overtime. Boy, that was double time. Everybody wanted that. But I had to come to a place where I said, no, I'm going to turn down the double time so I can be in church where I'm supposed to be because that's what God wants us to do. And so sometimes that can get in our way. Uh, some people say, well, I'm too busy in my business to teach a Sunday school class or run a bus route or go to a nursing home. You know, and they say, well, I'm so busy, but there are plenty of other people who can do what, what I'm too busy to do. No, every one of us ought to have a service to the Lord. We're to have something that we're doing for God and that we need to seek out. What is it I can do? Uh, then there's this excuse, so to speak, when people are prospering. The only day I have to enjoy the Lord has given me, all the Lord has given me is on Sunday. Well, preacher, surely God wants me to enjoy my boat. And God wants me to enjoy my cottage at the beach or in the mountains. And God wants me to enjoy my sport utility vehicle, and God wants me to enjoy family time. Surely there's nothing wrong with that. There is if you let it keep you out of church. And there is if you let it keep you from serving God. Listen, prosperity is a wonderful thing, but it can be a very dangerous thing if we don't handle it properly. And if we don't speak to ourselves in the proper way. This fellow here, he was saying to himself, hey, I've got it made, and I'm just going to sit back and relax and enjoy, but he didn't think about the fact that his soul was going to be required of him. Don't ever forget, we don't know how much time we have. Uh, you know, uh, James says our lives are even as a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. And don't ever forget this. Everything we build in this life is going to be left behind. Taking nothing with us. Job said, I came into the world naked. I'm going out of the world naked. Hmm? And sometimes people say, well, you know, i got to build my business. i got to build my career. I can serve the Lord later on after my finances and my future all settled. No, 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 a thousand times no. Prosperity can be a great thing. Sometimes the prosperous will say, I'm too busy to have a devotional time every day to read my Bible and pray. i got to be at the job early. i got to stay late at the job. There's no time to fit God in my schedule. Well, friend, if you can't get God in your schedule, uh, you need to rearrange your schedule. One of the most important things you'll ever do every day is get with the Lord. And by the way, I recommend getting with him before you start the day. Now, I know you can pray at night and you can do your devotions at night, but here's what I came to in my life. I'd rather get with God in the morning and spend my time in prayer and in my Bible in the morning and get my heart and my mind and everything set for the day and seeking his leadership for the day than to jump right into my day and mess everything up and have to come at night and confess it all. Amen? Just a little side note. And then sometimes people prosper and they think, well, I'm somebody. Hmm? They get the idea of pride. And, uh, you know, I don't need to serve God. I don't need, I don't need, I don't know. Listen, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. We're not, uh, well, you are somebody with God, but not in the sense that people use that. Hmm. These are all dangerous things people tell themselves when they prosper. 
And then in our times of prosperity, we need to remember some things. Number one, the Lord has to be the priority of our lives. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We need, to, we need to let God be number one in our life, and we shouldn't let anything else take that place. Everything else ought to come after God's place in our lives. Prosperity here is only temporary. As I said, we leave it all behind. Only treasures laid up in heaven are going to last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Do you realize we can lose everything we work and, and toil to build up in an instant? That fast, we can lose everything. I've shared with you before about uh, right after I was saved, uh, an experience that made me realize. I mean, it really drove that home to me. Uh, my wife and I were living in Fairless Hills. We had a, a nice home. We had been working on the house. It was a three-bedroom rancher, and, and uh, we had been working on it, getting siding put on it, and I replaced the windows and things of that nature, uh, just trying to make it nicer. And uh, we were glad to have our own home. We had been renting for a couple of years, and now we have our own home. And uh, it wasn't much, but we were working on it. And uh, I got saved. And one morning, oh, it was just two or three months after I got saved, early in the morning I heard some cra uh, like, like explosions and glass breaking. And uh, I jumped out of the bed and looked out the window, and our neighbor across the street's house was burning. It was on fire. And so I grabbed some clothes and ran out there, and, and uh, everybody got out of the house, and I was glad for that. But I stood there and watched as that house was burning, and I got to thinking, that could be my house. And, you know, up to that point, having our own home was a big thing. I mean, it was, uh, you know, all the possessions in the world were, well, that's what my life was all about before I got saved. And, boy, God made me realize, hey, you could lose it all that quick. And we need to understand that. And in our times of prosperity, we need to remember, hey, this is nice, but I could lose all this. This fellow didn't see that that we've read about. He didn't, he didn't think about that, that he could lose it all that quick or that he could be, lose his life that fast. So <clears throat> it's far better to possess only a little of this world's goods and to be right with God than to prosper and be away from God. Psalm 37 Verse 16 says, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. And boy, that's, that's so true. So number one, we need to be careful what we say in our times of suffering and in our times of prosperity and then in our times of temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you but such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. We need to be very careful about what we say to ourselves when temptation comes our way. And notice I said when, because I'll double-dog guarantee you, temptation's coming your way. It's, it's all around us, it's constant, and we need to know how to handle that. When temptation comes, some tell themselves they can handle their temptation. They view themselves somehow as hyper-spiritual or superhuman. They see themselves as spiritually invincible. You know, I've heard people say this, and, and I cringe when I hear it. Uh, sometimes Christians say, well, I would never do that. You know, when you do that, you're painting a big target on your back. Hmm? 
I think about Peter. Isn't he the one that said he would never deny the Lord? And look what happened to him. But sometimes people think they're so invincible spiritually, they would never, never fall. Such an attitude puts one in great danger. Such an attitude is one of pride. And the Bible declares that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We need to always see ourselves as vulnerable to sin and in need of God's help to overcome temptation. Some think that they'd never fall to temptation. Some entertain temptation. And that's a dangerous thing. You know, sometimes Christians play around with things that are temptations and can lead to sin. They put themselves, for instance, in compromising positions. Listen, I believe this. A man ought not ever be alone with a, with a, with a woman who's not his wife or his daughter. Amen? That's, that's inviting temptation. You say, well, I'd never do anything wrong. You don't know that. See, as long as you're living in this flesh, you're capable of any sin anybody's capable of. And so just that's one instance. Some go places where temptations abound and, and they shouldn't be there. I thought about sometimes Christians go to the bar room. Now, I don't know what in the world a Christian would want in a bar room. Boy, it got quiet. My, 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 my. Listen, a bar room, that's a den of iniquity. That's where they're trying to get people to drink that liquor. And, and people do crazy things when they drink that liquor. And they, they lose their inhibitions when they drink that liquor. Hmm? But sometimes Christians will go to a bar room. Sometimes they'll even go if they're not going to drink any liquor. Well, when I got saved, you know, the, the guys I worked with always went to the bar. And, and so uh, they would invite me. Hey, you want to go? And I said, no, I don't drink liquor. Well, you don't have to drink liquor. You can drink Coca-Cola. No, I don't want to be there because I don't want the atmosphere. I don't want to be anywhere around uh, where people are drinking like that. But sometimes people put themselves in that position. They go to bar rooms, dances, parties, casinos. Mm. I don't know why a Christian would want to be in a casino. Well, to win money. <laughs> you ever notice that everybody goes to casino wins or breaks even? What do you mean? Well, when you ask people, they say, I went to the casino. Well, how'd you make out? Uh, very, very rarely will you hear somebody say, well, I lost. Hmm? Oh, they don't want to tell you they lost, but they did. See, that's why that casino's in business. They're not there for you to win. They're there to make money. They're there for you to lose your money. And here's a principle. In order for somebody to get something... For free, somebody, somebody has to pay for something. So if you're going to gain something, somebody had to lose something. Hmm? Again, I don't know why people would want to be in places like that, but people put themselves in those positions, and then they wonder why they fall to temptation. You know, some blame their temptations on other people. When they have a temptation, they, instead of just admitting this is a temptation, and, and I should have walked away from it or I should have denied it. Uh, they try to blame somebody else for, for their falling into sin because of temptation. I thought about Adam and Eve. Remember when God confronted them? What did Adam say? He blamed Eve. He said, the woman that thou gavest me. Yeah, and what did Eve say? 
She blamed the serpent. He beguiled me. Listen, that's making an excuse for your, your failure to respond and say to yourself and speak to yourself in the right way when temptation comes your way. We're tempted, the Bible says, according to our own lust. And we just need to learn to say no and to flee from our temptations. I thought about Joseph. Remember how he was at Potiphar's uh, house and he was the head of the house and Potiphar had put him in that position and a, a very powerful position. But Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph and she decided she wanted to have a relationship with him. And day after day, she would come to him and try to tempt him. And finally she came to him and, and she said, come on, big boy, let's get it on and, and, and grabbed onto his coat. And boy, he took off. He fled. He did exactly what he needed to do. He said to himself, feet, get out of here. I'm not going to succumb to this. He said, how can I sin against my God and against my master? And he left. He said the right things to himself in his hour of temptation. But I think about another man who said the wrong things. I think about a David. David walking on that, that rooftop that day. And he looked over and he saw a woman bathing herself. Now, David should have said right then and right then to himself, I can't look at this. If I do, I'm going to get in trouble. David should have said, I got to get back in, in the house out of that view. David should have said to himself, that woman is not my wife. She doesn't belong to me. I have no business having any kind of relationship with her. But he didn't. He called for her, and he got into a, an adulterous relationship, which ended up him having to have a man murdered to cover up his sin, lies and deceit. Listen, we better speak to ourselves in the right way when temptation comes our way. We better understand we need to flee from it. We need to be careful what we say in our times of suffering, in our times of prosperity, in our times of temptation, and then in our times of service. 1 Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Many Christians take themselves, uh, many Christians talk themselves out of faithfulness to God. They tell themselves, well, I really don't have to be faithful to church. I'll just go once in a while when it's convenient. Some say, well, I don't have to read the Bible every day. Why? I hear it preached when I go to church. That ought to be enough. Some say, you know, I don't have to have a daily prayer life. Well, that preacher, he has time for that, but I don't have time. Some people will say, yeah, I don't have to serve God. Uh, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. There's no need for me to be serving him. Well, some people will say, I don't have to pay the tithe. Uh, that's, that's Old Testament. By the way, if you say that, you don't know your Bible. That's Old Testament. And uh, tithing's for the law. Uh, no, no, no. People say those things to themselves because they don't want to be obedient. People say, well, I don't have to go soul winning. And here's what's happening. People are listening to the voice of the old man instead of the new man. People are listening to the voice of the flesh instead of the spirit when they give all those, those ideas that I don't have to do this, I don't have to do that. Listen, friend, God wants us to serve him. Some Christians think that, well, I don't have to serve right now. I got plenty of time. I'll, I'll do it later. I told you about the fellow in Gaston. He kept telling me one day he was going to buy a bus and run a bus route but not right now because he was building his business. And so far as I know, it's never happened. Listen, friend, you don't know how much time you're going to have to serve the Lord or how much ability 
You know, sometimes, believe it or not, when you get a little older, you can't do everything you did when you were younger. Well, that's a big amen. Hmm? And you better do it while you have the opportunity and the ability. And then we need, we need to remind ourselves of God's expectation and God's commands. You know, God tells us we're to deny the flesh. We were in Galatians this morning. It says, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. We need to say no to the flesh. We need to flee the devil. The Bible says that, that we should flee the, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Um, and what I want you to understand is, we don't need to entertain the devil. You know, we all get unholy thoughts. The devil throws those like fiery darts at us. And those aren't sin. Just the thought is not the sin. But when you entertain it, it is. And sometimes we entertain the devil. Instead of resisting him, we let him hang around. No, no, no. We need to be careful. We need to say, I'm not going to let him hang around me. We need to be obedient to God. Finally, we need to be careful what we say to ourselves in times of conviction. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this. Quench, not the Spirit. You know, a lot of Christians are guilty of quenching the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in the church service, he'll convict us of something in our life. Sometimes in our Bible reading, he'll convict us of something in our life that needs to change. Sometimes in our prayer closet, he'll convict us of something that needs to be changed. Listen, friend, when that happens, we need to yield to him and we need to listen to him. Far too often, people quench the Holy Spirit. They say no to him. He'll put his finger on something in a person's life and say, this needs to change. And that person will say, oh, no. Oh, no, not that. Mm -mm. No, 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 that's quenching the Spirit. He desires to make us, uh, to make the decision to follow his leadership. He wants us to give him leadership in our life. That's why we're to walk in the Spirit. I emphasize as we were talking about that walking in the Spirit this morning, that that walking is an ongoing action. It's not do it one time. It's to do it continuously. And we're to do that every day of our lives. Walk in the Spirit. And then we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Many refuse to yield to God. They quench the Holy Spirit. God brings them to a place of de decision. God points to the area of difficulty. God convicts of the need to change. Yet they tell themselves, I shall, I shall. I shall not remove. Some say, well, I'll deal with it later. Don't put off what the Holy Spirit's doing with you today. You know, every time you harden your heart, it gets easier to harden your heart the next time. See, when you harden your heart, you're putting a callus on it. How many of you have ever had a callus? Uh-huh. And that comes because you, you, have, you have irritated a place that builds up a hard crust so it doesn't get irritated anymore. And it goes layer by layer. Hmm? That's how you build up a callus. Well, listen, that's how you build up a callus, a spiritual callus on your heart. That when God speaks to you in your heart and your heart, that puts another layer on it. And then the next time God speaks to you in your heart and your heart, that puts another layer on it. And pretty soon, if you're not careful, you'll get to the place where you'll hear preaching on whatever it is God's been dealing with you about. And you'll see it in your Bible. And God will keep bringing it to your mind. And it won't even phase you. 
because you've hardened your heart so much. You know, it's possible to harden your heart against salvation in that same way. Back in the day, we used to have a saying that people became gospel hardened. And here's what that means. Some people will hear the gospel so much, hear how Jesus loves them, how Jesus died for them, how Jesus wants to save them, how he will come into their heart and into their life and give them eternal life if they'll simply call upon him, that Jesus loves them and don't want them to die and go to hell. They hear it over and over, and every time they hear it and they turn him away, it's another layer of callous on their heart, and they keep building up that callous to where pretty soon they get to the place where the gospel message don't even affect them anymore. Well, you see over in Romans chapter 1 where God says, he gave some people over to a reprobate mind. And you know when that happens, God says, have it your way. And, and, and he doesn't speak your heart anymore. Some tell themselves, I'll deal with it later. Some say, well, I, I'm not so bad. I really don't need to change. If the Holy Spirit says you need to change, you need to change. Some convince themselves that what they're doing isn't that bad. Oh, my, my little pet's in here. It's not that bad. I really don't need to forsake that. Well, I, I'm, I'm not hurting anybody. And on and on they could go, make an excuse. Some tell themselves it really isn't God moving them. It's just their emotions. You know, in a little while, we're going to have a gospel invitation like we have every week. And sometimes during that invitation, God's speaking to people's hearts, and he wants, God wants them to come forward, some to come for salvation, and some to come just to do business with him. He's spoken to them during the preaching time, and God wants them to come and speak to him because people harden their heart. And they say, no, I'm not going to go. Why, if I go forward, people are going to talk about me. If I go forward, people are going to think bad about me. No, sir, friend, if anybody has that kind of a spirit in the church service, they need to get right with God. When people come forward, we rejoice that God spoke to somebody, and now they want to speak to him. And then sometimes people tell themselves, when in that hour when they're being convicted, they say, well, yeah, I have that problem, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Hmm? And they compare themselves with other Christians who may have more difficulty than they have. Listen, the Bible says if, you compare, if we compare ourselves with ourselves, we're fools. No, you don't measure yourself this way. You measure yourself this way. How you're measuring up to Jesus, that's what you need to worry about. Listen, many unsaved refuse to come at the hour of salvation. The Holy Spirit convicts them. They refuse to move. Sometimes people will say, well, that's your opinion, preacher. I have my own religion. Well, friend, your religion won't get you into heaven. When you die and stand before God, he's not going to ask you what religion you were. He's going to ask you, do you know my son, Jesus Christ? The only answer that will ever get you into heaven when God says, why should I let you into heaven? Is being able to say, because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. People say, I have my own religion. Some say, I don't want to be a Baptist. I don't want to join the church. Well, friend, when we're preaching the gospel and encouraging people to come to Jesus Christ and be saved, we're not trying to get you to join the church, and we're not trying to get you to join a religion. We're not trying to go make you a Baptist. We're trying to keep you out of hell because the only way to stay out of hell is to know Jesus as your Savior. Some say, I don't want to be a Baptist. I don't want to join your church. Some say, well, others, what are others going to think about me? My friends, my family, uh, those around me, 
What are they going to think if I go forward and get saved? Well, if they have a right heart, they're going to rejoice with you that another soul has come to Christ. Some say, not now, but maybe later. Oh, I've dealt with people who have that, that excuse. Oh, maybe later. I told you about the fellow I talked with at the can company. Talked with him several times and asked him, didn't he want to be saved? I remember the last time I talked with him about it. And I said, Tom, don't you want to get saved right now? And here's what he said. He said, no, not right now. Uh, later I'll get saved. But right now I still have some things I want to do. You know, that was the last time I ever had a conversation with that man. I don't know if anybody ever talked to him about the Lord again. No, no, no. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We need to get saved when the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and puts his finger on us and says, hey, that's you. And you may never have another opportunity to be saved. You know, you don't know when your next breath is going to be your last. We could all be in heaven tonight. We read about all these, these shootings and that kind of thing, and, and people go out in their daily life, and they never expect that this will be the last day of my life, but it is. And friend, you better be prepared. Listen, we need to learn to talk to ourselves in the right way at all times. Have you been careful about what you, say, what you said to yourself? Have you realized this morning that you've been telling yourself the wrong thing? Maybe you need to make some changes in your life today. Maybe you've been talking to yourself in the wrong way, convincing yourself of the wrong things. And this morning, God wants you to change that. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. God's speaking to your heart today. Have you been talking to yourself in the wrong way? Maybe in your time of difficulty, maybe in your time of prosperity, maybe in the time of decision. I wonder if there are some Christians here this morning who would be honest with God and honest with the preacher while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. There are some people here this morning who say, Preacher, I'm guilty. I've been telling myself the wrong things. God's convicted me in some areas. I haven't yielded to him. I've made excuse. I've compromised. I've bucked up like an old mule and refused to obey him. And this morning, God has convicted me about it. And this morning, I want to come and confess and ask God to forgive me and help me. And here's my hand. Would you hold it up high? Hold it up high. Hold it up high. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God spoke to you. Preacher, I've been making excuse. I've been, been telling myself everything's okay, and it's not okay. Somebody else, preacher, God spoke to me here with my hand. Somebody else, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I want to speak to those here who have never been saved, never been born again. Friend, why don't you come to Christ? What's keeping you from getting saved? Don't you realize one day you're going to die? And when you do, you're going to go to hell and suffer torment forever and ever and ever. And the only way to escape that is to come to Jesus Christ and ask him to save you and put your faith in him. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wonder, is there one or several who say, Preacher, that's me, I need to get saved today. 
I don't know for sure if I died, I'm going to heaven. But I want to know. Would you simply slip your hand up very quickly? I won't call your name. I won't embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. I can't do that if I don't know who you are. Preacher, that's me. I've been saying to myself, I've got a long time to get saved. I've been saying to myself, I don't need to get saved. That's not all true, and I'm not going to die and go to hell. Well, friend, you're telling yourself the wrong thing. Would you this morning come to Jesus Christ and be saved? Let's stand together. We're going to have a gospel invitation.